Well, all right. Today, we come to Genesis chapter 49. There are 50 chapters in the book of Genesis. So next week, we are done with the book of Genesis. We're in chapter 49 today. Um, We're going to dip back into 48, um, but we're going to spend most of our time in 49. It is Jacob. He is an old man now, and he is ready to breathe his last. But before he does, he blesses each one of his 12 sons. Now, i got to warn you, the blessing is highly cryptic, poetic, cryptic, kind of hard to understand, but we're going to make sense of it. You need to have come with your thinking caps on today. Are you thinking? Is your brain plugged in? Have you had several cups of coffee? Okay, I'm going to stand right here. Is that better? All right. Um, Now, so we don't get lost as we go through this. Sometimes you need direction about how to hear a particular sermon. Some sermons are go and do, right? You're going to leave and you're going to go do, or go and don't do, stop doing that. What What is the end result of this message? It's not a go and do. It's not a go and stop doing. It's a stop and worship. By the time we're done... We should have our hearts filled uh, with wonder at God, and particularly one attribute of God, that is his sovereignty, that he is sovereign, which means he is in control over even the smallest details of this world. Uh, It may seem like your life is spiraling out of control. It may seem like the country is spiraling out of control. Uh, It may seem like the economy is spiraling out of control. God is in perfect control. So that's what what we want to to realize. And there are specifically three things God is in control of. First of all, he is in control of his plan to rescue the world. Um, We can get so caught up in the details of the book of Genesis, the story of the flood, and Joseph in the pit, and that we miss the big picture. What's the big picture? Big picture is this. God created a perfect world with two perfect people, but they rebelled against God. Sin entered into the world. It got so bad that he had to flood the world and destroy all humanity at one point. But then the world is repopulated, but it's still wicked. But rather than flooding the world and destroying humanity, he comes up with a rescue plan. The rescue plan involves him picking one guy named Abraham out of, the, out of a, a moon-worshiping culture. And he promises Abraham that through you, I will bless the world. Now, we know what that means. We, mean, we know that that means that he will have uh, many sons, a lineage of sons, and from that lineage will come the Messiah, Jesus, who will die on the cross to pay for our sins. The book of Genesis with all the adventures and all the stories going on, really is about God rescuing humanity by choosing one man and creating a nation through Abraham. But there's a specific line that you can trace through the family of Abraham that results in Jesus coming. And the story of Abraham, Isaac, 
Jacob and his sons is about God continuing that plan to bring the Messiah, the seed, Jesus, uh, into reality. Okay, so God is sovereign over his plan to save the world. We also see that God is sovereign in control of, of who of these 12 sons receives the blessing and the birthright. Now, usually the oldest son would be uh, chosen to receive the birthright, a double share of the inheritance. Usually it goes to the oldest son. doesn't go to the oldest son here. In fact, all throughout Genesis, it's not going to the oldest son. Never is the oldest son given the blessing. In this case, uh, or the, the, the birthright, the birthright goes to who? Joseph. Now, the birthright is different than the blessing. The blessing is who, what, what line will the Messiah come through? It's Judah. The fourthborn and the eleventhborn get the blessing and the birthright. Why? Because God is sovereign. He can choose to give the birthright and the blessing to whoever he wants. Third element of sovereignty is this. When Jacob blesses his children, it's not like a blessing that you and I would give to our children. Josh, live long and prosper, okay? Have a good day at school. God bless you, okay? Uh, that's more of a, a, a prayer, a wish, right? When the patriarchs bless their children, their prophecies, he is not just wishing them well. He's saying, here's how it's going to be. In other words, um, Jacob goes into prophet mode where God is now giving divine revelation through Jacob's mouth. And as we look at each of these 12 sons, we're going to see that his prophecy is fulfilled in a unique way in each of them. All right? So um, what should you get out of this? You should get out of this that our God is awesome and sovereign. So now, let's take a look at the text. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. So gather around, I'm going to die. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. You are the firstborn. You, when I was young and strong, you were my firstborn. You're preeminent. You're number one. So I'm sure Reuben is thinking, yeah, I'm number one. I'm going to get the blessing. I'm going to get the double inheritance. Bring it on, Dad. But what does Jacob say? Unstable as water. That's pretty unstable. Of all these substances in the world, I mean, wood's pretty stable. Metal, pretty stable. Water, not so good. You don't want to build a house with water. There's no stability. You are unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence. Even though you are the preeminent firstborn, you will not receive the preeminence of the firstborn. Why? Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch, Jacob says. Right? What's going on here? This is referring to a little incident that 
Uh, you may not even have remembered, but as uh, Jacob and his family is coming back into the promised land, there's one sentence that says this. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. Remember, Jacob technically had four wives. Two of them were officially his wives, and the other two were his wives' handmaidens. Bilhah was one of the handmaidens. But she was the mother of of some of the children, and Reuben slept with her. Now, um, why did he sleep with her? Could be lust. Could be um, a power play where he's trying to to, uh, take over the authority of the family. Um, We don't know, but Joseph takes away the privilege of the firstborn from Reuben. Let's just dwell on that word unstable for a minute. You know people who are unstable? Unstable in holding down a job, unstable in their marriage, unstable in church involvement. Their life is just characterized by instability, unstable as water. Now, while there may be many factors that go into a person's instability, there seems to be a correlation between the degree to which Christ is Lord of your life and the degree of your stability. To the degree that you say, you know what? I don't want to be Lord of my life. I am trusting Christ as Lord of my life. That adds stability. Remember, Jesus told a parable that ended the Sermon on the Mount. He said there were two builders. They both built houses. One guy built his house on the beach, on the sand. And the storm came and it, you know, there was no stability to it. The other guy, he built his house where? On the rock. And then Jesus says, that's the guy who builds his life on me and my teachings. Stable. Solid. If your life is characterized by instability, I can tell you this, you have chosen to be Lord of your own life. Build your your life, your family, your marriage, your church attendance, your church involvement, everything on Jesus as Lord. Reuben, he was Lord of his own life, and he lost the blessing of the firstborn. You say, well, okay, Maybe uh, Jacob's going to give it to the next two brothers, Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Ooh, these are, are murderous people. Let my soul come not into their counsel. So, so Jacob says, you know, there's a lot of people I trust to get counsel from, I don't trust these guys. I'm not going to entrust my soul to their counsel. By the way, you don't, you don't have to trust everybody. Some people are untrustworthy. Right? But I don't trust these guys. Oh, my glory, God, be not joined to their company. God, don't bless 
these two. This is, this is the anti-blessing. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. This is referring to the time when they came into, the, the, the whole clan came into the, the promised land. They went to Shechem, and they did the circumcision trick. A guy named Shechem raped their sister, Dinah. And then uh, he asked for her hand in marriage, and uh, Israel said, here's, here's the deal. If you're going to intermarry with us, you all need to be circumcised. So the whole village gets circumcised, and while they're still sore, these two take swords, and they go in and they murder. They commit genocide uh, of an entire village. That's what this is referring to. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce in their wrath, uh, for it is cruel. Now, here's, here's the prophecy. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Now, this is referring to uh, the inheritance of the land. When they finally go into the promised land, the land is divided, and the different tribes get different pieces of land. So this is saying, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Divide could be translated separate them. So I I will separate them from the rest of their tribes, and I will scatter them. Interesting. Here's a map of the promised land and the tribes. Okay, Where's Simeon? He is actually given a plot of land surrounded by the tribe of Judah down here in the desert. Totally separated, the furthest uh, other than Judah down, down below, further, uh, furthest south separated from the rest of Israel. Now, where's the tribe of Levi? First person who can find the tribe of Levi, you get a donut. Why, why is there no tribe of Levi? Yeah, they're the priestly tribe. They didn't get any land. They were divided to be the priests and scattered throughout 48 cities in Israel. And it, now, there's a, a positive thing. The priests were scattered throughout Israel. But it all goes back to this prophecy uh, that when you inherit the land, you'll be divided or separated and scattered. Well, who gets the blessing? It's Joseph who gets the birthright. He gets a double share. We'll talk about that in just a second. But Judah, brother number four, gets the blessing. Let's take a look at that. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Just like you brothers bowed down to Joseph, now the brothers and the rest of the tribes will bow down to you, Judah. So Judah will be the prominent tribe, and leadership will arise in Judah. How fierce, how powerful will this tribe be? King of the jungle. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and a lioness. 
Who dares rouse him? Right? He is the unquestioned king of the jungle. Right? But now it gets really interesting. Verse 10. The scepter, that's a king's scepter, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until something happens, until tribute comes to him. So kingly leadership will arise from this tribe. By the way, David was from the tribe of Judah, and all of his sons were from the tribe of Judah. So this is a prophecy that the kings will arise, and that leadership will not depart. Now, the ESV, this is the version I preach out of, the ESV puts it this way. Um, the, the, the scepter and the ruler's staff won't depart until tribute comes to him. Now that makes it, it sound like until tribute comes to the tribe of Judah. Let me give you some different translations. In fact, the ESV margin note says that the Hebrew can be read this way. So the, the scepter and the ruler's staff will not depart until he comes to whom it belongs. So we're looking for a specific ruler to which tribute and obedience belongs. So there'll be a line of kings until a specific king comes. The NIV says, until he to whom it belongs shall come. The Holman translation says, until he whose right it is comes. All of this is saying that Judah will be the kingly tribe. There will be a line of kings. That line of royalty will not end until a particular king comes. And by the way, this, when this one king comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, plural. If this was just referring to Israel, it would be uh, the obedience of the people, the people of Israel, but peoples is plural. Put it all together, Judah, from you will arise a line of kings, and they will be in power until one particular king comes, and that one particular king will be obeyed by the entire world. Who do you think this might be? This is a prophecy fulfilled in no one else but Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. Okay. Um, now, the next part is a little cryptic because I believe it's just simply portraying a picture of earthly prosperity. Some people would say this is yet to be fulfilled in the millennium or in the eternal state. But it's a picture, okay, over in Israel, one of the, the crops is grapes. And they would talk about prosperity by the grape harvest. If there was a, a lot of grapes, they, they would talk about lots of grapes. If there was not many, then the few grapes on the vine, remember in Habakkuk? There's only a few grapes on the vine. So this is a picture of lots of grapes. 
Binding his foal, his donkey, to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. So, so here, I mean, these are precious vines. You want to treat them carefully. There's so much abundance that you tie your donkey to the vine. Who cares if, if he eats the, uh, the grapes? There's so many of them. He has washed his garments in wine and his vestiture in the blood of grapes. Uh, there's so much plenty that grape juice is like wash water. Right? And then the king himself, his eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Healthy, beauty, powerful. This all points to Jesus. Right? The birthright, the double share, is going to go to one type of Christ, Joseph. The blessing the line of the Messiah, the line of the King of kings and Lord of lords who will save the world goes through another type of Christ, Judah. Okay, Let's move on. Zebulon. There's a guy you don't hear much about. Zebulon shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships. His border shall be at Sidon. Now, I have to admit, this is kind of a difficult one, because by reading that, wouldn't you think that he would be on the Mediterranean Sea, and ships would come to him, and he would be right up there near Lebanon, where Sidon is? Well, when you look at Zebulon, he's this little purple guy right here. He's not even on the Sea of Galilee. He's not on the Mediterranean Sea. What gives? Well, um, Lots of commentators say, we don't know how to explain this. But there's one guy named Kyle, who is a Hebrew expert, and he says it could be translated this way. To the shores of the ocean will he dwell, and indeed towards the coast of ships, and his side towards Sidon. In other words, it doesn't mean on the Mediterranean and actually next to Sidon, but toward. So how you translate the preposition. Other people say, well, this has got to be in the end times uh, when the land is redivided or in the millennium. Um, But I have to admit, it's a tough one. That's a tough one. Okay. So I'm going to move right along to Issachar. Issachar, who is right here. And, And he is in a uh, a valley with a mountain on each side. He's got the Sea of Galilee up north. He's on the Jordan River. So you talk about a lush, fertile area. Here's the prophecy. Issachar is a strong donkey. Strong as beast. Crouching between the sheepfolds, he saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. So the picture here is he's got luxury. He's got fertile land, but like a lazy donkey, he lays down and he won't budge, so they make him into a beast of burden, a slave. And when would this have been fulfilled? Well, when Assyria came in and conquered the northern tribes, Um, They, of course, would want this fertile piece of ground, and they would enslave uh, Issachar. Uh, Leopold says this, The meaning seems to be that Issachar was strong but docile and lazy. 
He would enjoy the good land assigned to him, but would not survive, uh, strive for it. Therefore, eventually, he would be pressed into servitude and the mere bearing of burdens for his masters. Okay? Dan. Dan means judge. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Um, you know who came from the tribe of Dan of some rep- repute? Samson. Samson was a judge for 40 years. Right? It's probably referring to that. But, now look at this, Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel so that his rider falls backward. And then Jacob cries out, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. So he's a snake in the grass. Right? And he bites the heel of the horse and the rider falls off. What is this all about? Well, um, Dan was supposed to have this land Nice land right here on the Mediterranean. It's actually where Joppa is, beautiful port. Uh, but they, they never really conquered that land. They never really settled there. And they said, you know, we don't, we don't want to stay here. And they go looking for land elsewhere, and they actually end up settling in this little town of Dan up here. Um, this is the fertile area in Israel. There's waterfalls and rivers and uh, the, the water's coming down the mountains. And there were some people uh, living in Dan, quiet and unsuspecting people, the people of Laish. They wiped him out. And Dan set up an idol there. Snake in the grass. Right? Then some quick ones here. Gad. Uh, Gad means raiders. Raiders shall raid Gad but he shall raid at their heels. So the idea here is Gad is one of the three tribes uh, on the eastern side of the Jordan River, um, unprotected. So look at this. God gives uh, most of the tribes of Israel this protection of the, the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Dead Sea, a wall of water on this side and an ocean on this side, so they're nice and protected, but... These three tribes are on the eastern side, and Gad is one that is unprotected. Um, First Chronicles says this, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had valiant men who carried shield and sword and drew the bow, expert in war, 44,000 able to go to war. So they got attacked a lot, but they became good warriors themselves. Asher, Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. So Asher's up here on the sea, okay? And uh, Asher was known for delicacies. Now, is that because of the fertile land? Could be. Is that because they were fishermen and they pulled delicacies out of the sea? Could be. Or is it because traders uh, would, would harbor in Asher and they would bring in delicacies from around the world? Don't know, but Asher was uh, the third street of Geneva. Okay? Naphtali. Naphtali is a doe let loose 
that bears beautiful fawns. Again, Naphtali up here in the north, fertile, uh, beautiful area. Now, if you were to do a comparative study of different versions, half the versions of, of, of your English Bible would say, Naphtali bears beautiful fawns. The other half would say, she bears beautiful... Anybody know? Words, yes. Beautiful words. Naphtali is the area of the Sea of Galilee. There was a prophet named Jesus who did most of his ministry around the Sea of Galilee. He preached the Sermon on the Mount there. He taught most of his parables there. Is this a prophecy that beautiful words would come from the mouth of the Son of God himself in Naphtali? Could be. Now, let's get to Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by a spring, his branches run over the wall. So this is a picture, I think this is pointing back to the actual Joseph. Um, he is fruitful. So fruitful, he's, he's like a vine that crawls up the wall, over the wall. It's not just Israel who benefits from him, but the rest of the world. That's the picture here. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. That's his brothers. Throw him in a pit. Yet his bow remains unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. So God kept him strong. And there's three names for God. The mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone or the rock of Israel. So uh, Joseph will be a blessing to the whole world. He's the grain boss of the world, right? Um, and God keeps him strong. By the God of your fathers who will help you by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, right? blessings of the deep that crouch beneath. So heaven will bless you. The earth and the sea will bless you. Blessings of the breast and of the womb. You're going to have lots of kids. Right? The blessings of your father. Now this is Jacob talking about himself. Are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. So um, yeah, Abraham was blessed, Isaac was blessed, but Jacob, he was abundantly blessed. Up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. My blessings go up to the mountains. Now Joseph, may they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. May you receive the ultimate blessing. In, in essence, uh, in, the, in the book of uh, Chronicles says this, Joseph received the birthright blessing, the double blessing. Now you go, well, where, where does he get the double blessing? Where do we see that? Well, in chapter 48, before Jacob blesses his 12 sons, he has a little private meeting with Joseph. And he says, Joseph, bring your, uh, your two boys to me, Ephraim and Manasseh. And here's what happens. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. Okay? 
Notice he names the first two born of his own, but now he's saying, I'm adopting my grandchildren. Ephraim and Manasseh are part of my, my, my sons now. Okay. So now, when you look at the map, um, okay, I was going to give a donut if you could find the tribe of Levi. I'm going to give you two donuts if you can find the tribe of Joseph. Where's the tribe of Joseph? You know, he doesn't have a tribe. Joseph, in essence, is being replaced by his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, look at the inheritance. By the way, Judah down here, half of it is desert. So if you were to look at the land of Israel, Ephraim and Manasseh basically get the lion's share of the whole thing. Okay? So, in essence, uh, Joseph, I am making you the firstborn by giving your two sons, making them my sons, and giving them a huge inheritance. But if that's not complicated enough, he, he calls the two boys to him, and when he blesses them, it says this, And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger. So the right hand of blessing should go on the head of the it goes on the head of the younger. And his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was firstborn. Now, Joseph wants to, to help his dad out, because dad is old, senile, and blind. So when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. Just like an old grandpa. I know, I know. Right? He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he. Now, it's, it's interesting. Manasseh gets more land, but Ephraim is actually more powerful. You go, why, why is that in there? Well, so far, the blessing of the firstborn has not gone to any firstborn. Abraham had Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was the firstborn. Isaac gets the firstborn blessing. Jacob and Esau, who's the oldest? Esau, who gets the firstborn? Jacob. Um, Reuben is the firstborn of Jacob, but who does the double share go to? Joseph and his sons Ephraim uh, and Manasseh. And even those two, the firstborn uh, is the lesser than the other one. What's the point? God is sovereign. He doesn't play by human convention. Okay? All right, one last one. Little Benji. Sweet little Benji. We all love Benji, don't we? Here's, here's Jacob's last blessing to little Benji. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, devouring the prey, and at evening, dividing the spoil. What? He's another wicked one. So what's this all about? Well, here's Benjamin. Technically, Jerusalem is in the territory, or the original territory, of Benjamin, okay? 
This is probably referring to this horrible story that's in the book of Judges. The book of Judges, the point of the book of Judges is there was no king in the land and every man did what was right in his own eyes. It was a free-for-all, right? So there's this man traveling through the tribe of Benjamin with his concubine, with his live-in girlfriend. And as they're traveling through Benjamin, they stop for the night in the town of Gibeah. And it turns into Sodom and Gomorrah. The men of the town surround the house, and they say, hey, bring out the new guy. And... um, The new guy says, I'm not going out there. So what's he do? Being a a brave man, he tosses his concubine out the door. They abuse her all night long. And they rape her to death. He gets up in the morning. And he says, hey, get up. She's dead. Picks her up, puts her on his donkey. Goes back to his home, takes out his knife, cuts her into 12 pieces and sends them to the 12 tribes of Israel. They go, what's this all about? This horrible thing has happened in Benjamin. 400,000 troops gather to fight against the Benjamites. They say, hey, hand over the Gibeonites who did this. And the Benjamites say, no, we're not going to do it. And a civil war breaks out, and 65,000 people die. There's little Benji. So now, Jacob has prophesied, he's blessed, he's cursed, and now he dies. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. So, uh, in the next chapter, we read that Joseph takes the body of Jacob back to this cave where Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and Leah were buried. What's, what's the point there? Egypt's not home. Bury me in the land God has promised. The, even, even the book ends by looking back to the promised land, which I believe is a type of us looking to our ultimate promised land. And then here's the last verse of 49. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. What's the main point? God is sovereign. He's sovereign in prophecy. These cryptic things that maybe we aren't making full sense of them, but they're clear enough that we see God tells the end from the beginning. He is sovereign in choosing who to give the birthright and the blessing to. And he is sovereign in continuing to save the world with his plan to have a line of people that will end with a Messiah who will be King of kings and Lord of lords, but to accomplish our salvation will die on a cross, a suffering servant, a Savior and Lord. I hope uh, if you're visiting this morning or if you have not given your life to God, I hope you would read this and go, whoa, 
God's in total control. Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Christ is the Savior. I need to bow the knee. Let's pray. Lord, we marvel at your sovereignty. We marvel that you are in control. You tell the end from the beginning. The borders of nations are all mapped out long before. And rather than letting this world die, you had a plan, a rescue plan, where you sent your son to die in our place. How do we know we have the right guy? You made it very clear the line he had to come through, what he would do. So Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for its supernatural quality. Thank you that it clearly lays out the gospel. And thank you that it points to who Christ is. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.